Well, good morning once again. I would like to introduce to you, particularly for those who are new to Crossroads in the last two to three years, uh, this is Carissa Wagner. She is our uh, missionary to Bangkok, Thailand. So let's welcome her, shall we? Yes. Thank you. <clears throat> now, prior to going, uh, I tell you, you couldn't go anywhere in this building without seeing Carissa doing something and uh, just an incredible blessing. So when she, I remember years ago when you came and told me that you were going, I'm like, I'm happy for you, but I'm not happy for us. But, uh, so she's been there for three years. Uh, tell us a little bit about Bangkok and a little bit about Thailand. When, you, when I think of that area, I think of the immense beauty, but then also the underbelly, the, 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 the beautiful and the, the ugly. Um, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, Thailand is absolutely known for the beaches and the beauty and, and a, a tourist destination for sure. Um, Bangkok, the city, is massive, um, huge, crowded, full of people tourists and otherwise. Um, I think there's nine, over nine million people that live just in Bangkok. Um, yeah, so and very, very big city. it's not as big as DFW Metroplex. No, it's no, like it's, it's crowded in there. So yeah, it gets uh, pretty traffic-y and all. But um, yeah, within the streets, there's pockets of areas that are what you're seeing in these pictures, the red light areas, um, which are very, very common and very prominent. Um, when it gets dark, actually one of the main roads through the city there's just many women and lady boys that are just kind of lined up waiting for customers and trying to, you know, use their explain, time. Uh, we talked about this this week, but explain to uh, people here what a lady boy. That's uh, a terminology we're not really familiar with. Yeah, but. yeah it sounds a little derogatory, but yeah. in Thailand, it's it's just the, the commonly used term for um, a cross-dresser or a transgender um, guy that is yeah. there. And for those of you who don't know, um, Bangkok is really the center for sex tourism in the world. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah. That uh, it's a hub and uh, a lot of um, abuse, a lot of just the, the ugly side of everything that goes along with it. And, and Carissa is a part of that. Um, you're transitioning to a new ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, the name of it, I've been, I've been practicing it all week, Don Nam. Yeah. And um, it's specific to uh, targeting people. Uh, these people who uh, yeah. we consider, I love, uh, we're just going to see a video in just a moment, but uh, I love what they say about uh, identity and that uh, everyone matters, and uh, it's, it just resonates with us, people created in the image of God. Tell us just about this new ministry that mm -hmm. you're going to be involved in. Yeah, so I went out there knowing of the issue of the women that are in, on the, working on the streets in prostitution. And there's many organizations that are helping um, to get them out, to give them opportunities. This is the only one that's working with the guys. Um, and so to be able to, I've been connected with them for the last three years. I know the, the team that's working there that I'll be joining. Um, and I absolutely love their, their heart for introducing these guys to Jesus, while at the same time holistically working through counseling, job training, education, and all of the things to make sure that they are coming out of um, the situation that they've been in, in a complete way. It's not just saying what you're doing is wrong, change it. Yeah. It's helping them get helping there. Helping them along yeah. and knowing that the one who will give them the power to make the greatest change is Jesus Christ. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We have a video uh, that we'd like to show you. Uh, just ในที่สุดฉันก็เลยไปทำงานที่บาร์เพื่อขอเขาเป็นเด็กเสิร์ฟเขาบอกว่าเขาอยากให้ฉันเต้นมากกว่าเขาบอกว่าเขาอยากให
และมีอยู่ครั้งหนึ่งที่ฉันเคยคิดว่าเมืองไทยมีแต่มือนิธิของผู้หญิงและก็ผู้ชายแต่ไม่มีสำหรับเบบี้บอยตอนนั้นฉันเจอเซเลสที่บาร์หลังจากนั้นแล้วก็เป็นเพื่อนกันแล้วเซเลสก็มาหาฉันบ่อยๆแล้วท่อนน้ำเสนองานให้กับฉันและฉันก็คิดว่าเป็นงานที่ดีและสามารถมีเงินเก็บฉันได้เรียนรู้และมีประสบการณ์ที่จะได้เป็นผู้นำเมื่อก่อนนั้นฉันไม่รู้จักพระเจ้าสักเท่าไหร่แต่ตอนนี้ฉันรู้สึกว่าพระเจ้าช่วยฉันและแนะนำฉันทำในสิ่งที่ถูกต้องตอนนั้นฉันไม่รู้จักพระเจ้าฉันนอนคิดอยู่บนเตียงว่าทำไมเมืองไทยถึงไม่มีมูลนิธิสำหรับเลดี้บอยหลังจากนั้นพระเจ้าก็ตอบฉันว่าควรที่จะไปที่ไหนเจ้าของเขาเองเขาเองเขาเองเขาเองเขาเองเขาเองเขาเองเขาเองเขาเองเขาเองเขาเองเขาเองเขาเองเขาเองเขาเองเขาเองเขาเองเขาเองเขาเ
Um, Carissa heads back. Uh, we were talking about this earlier, and uh, she had some plane uh, tickets or a ticket booked, and then with uh, the virus scare and all that, her, her ticket was going through China, and so she's canceled that, and she's praying as to when and how that'll all, all take place. Um, not only the logistics of uh, getting back and uh, getting uh, settled again, but obviously the financial side of things, uh, prayer support. Um, I'm asking you as a church uh, to uh, prayerfully consider how uh, the Lord would want to use you uh, in this ministry, uh, other ministries uh, of our church. Um, you're going to be hearing even from the Daltons later on this year uh, in the summertime. And uh, opportunities to engage. Uh, this is a place that's almost directly on the other side of the world. Um, uh, the Lord may be stirring in your heart to be a prayer warrior. Um, someone who would just send words of encouragement that maybe being on the receiving end of uh, uh, newsletters um, out at the there's a table out in the lobby Carissa has some uh, some cards that you can take uh, you can sign your name she'd love to stay in touch with you uh, I was talking to her this week and I said okay um, just let's cut to the chase what is uh, your outstanding financial need and she shared with me uh, reluctantly but shared with me that uh, $1,600 a month is still outstanding and so I uh, just want to uh, let you know and uh, ask you to prayerfully consider there's opportunity for monthly support you can do that on uh, crossroadspeople.com uh, forward slash give or there's a, um, a website uh, that's up there or you can get it on the card as well there's also opportunity for one-time gifts. There's uh, um, needs up front. And uh, as you could imagine, uh, just the travel and, and setting up uh, um, uh, the first time getting back over there and, and doing it. So I want to pray uh, with uh, Carissa, if you'd reach out your hand. I just want to bless her and uh, commit her and commission her for this next uh, um, time that should be over there, that chapter, and pray that... The, that uh, um, the time would be fruitful and powerful. So Lord Jesus, we as uh, your church, Lord, we commission Carissa again uh, for what you have um, in, this, uh, in this chapter. Lord, we ask for divine um, encounters. We ask for divine arrangements and settings and situations that the power of God would be at work in her and through her. We pray for these young men, Lord, that even now you'd be stirring within their heart the life change message of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you that uh, uh, Carissa's steps are ordained by you. Lord, we pray for a blessing, not only in the spiritual realm, but Lord, also in the physical realm, that you'd bless her and surround her with your angels. Lord, you'd meet needs spiritually, financially, monetarily, Lord. We bless her in the name of Jesus and send her as the body of Christ here in Decatur, Texas. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Thank you, Carissa. Let's thank her, shall we? Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, and we're starting a new series today called The God of Me. And yes, uh, you read that right, The God of Me. I have no doubt that every single Christ follower has decided and intends that God would hold the number one place in their life. Let me say that again. I believe that every single Christ follower intends and has decided that, that God would be the number one thing in their life. 
And it, why is it that so often other things seem to come in and press in and knock God off of that number one place, the throne, if I could use that term, and we begin to worship or we begin to seek after, we begin to chase after other things? Why is that the case? We know it to be true, even though our intent is that God would be number one, let me say that there are so many things vying for our attention. Let me even put it this way, there are so many things vying for our worship, our adoration, our praise. We talked about last week that we here at Crossroads, we're a people, we're a church called to know God intimately. We're also a people, we're also a church desiring His Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. We're called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community. I shared with a group on Monday night down at the Civic Center that that is our number one main objective. That's what we're called to do. But I also said this, that, that there's no way that the gospel of Jesus Christ will reach this community if it doesn't reach us first. There's no way the love and grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to reach our community or the world for that matter if it doesn't change and transform and affect us first. In Exodus 20, just to give you the setting if uh, you've forgotten or maybe it's unknown to you, uh, here you have God giving Moses some instructions. And in fact, God etches those instructions and those laws on some stone tablets. And we know those laws, particularly from the first verses of Exodus 20, we know this as, as the Ten Commandments. Maybe you have a grandmother like, uh, like I, I did who uh, had them you know, kind of embroidered and hanging on her wall. Or maybe you had you know, a little uh, kind of... Uh, statue, I guess you call it, or engraving or carving of that on, on your mantle or something like that, or, you know, the Ten Commandments. Uh, we know this, and I, I want to know, what comes to your mind when you think of the Ten Commandments? What, what do you think of? Uh, is it just kind of a suggest, the Ten Suggestions? Or is it uh, these ten laws and it's, it's check boxes? Is it, uh, you know, is it a spreadsheet? Uh, you know, is it just a yes, no? Is it thumbs up, thumbs down? Yes, I got this one. No, I don't. Or is it kind of a sliding scale? Do you grade yourself? I got thinking this week, and I guess you can sort of think of it. I like to golf, so, you know, golf scorecard, right? Okay, so how are we doing? Um, okay, hole number one. Um, okay, uh, we'll jump down a few, uh, Lord's name in vain. Um, okay, hmm. and we're thinking back, thinking back, okay, we write down our score. All right, okay, um, how about, um, hmm, uh, keeping the Sabbath. Well, hmm. you're, you're ready to mark something down, but then you thought that there's a Cowboys game coming up, or, you know, or the kids have their, their ball games, you know, they're, they're on a, a select team, and you're going to be... Oh, oh, you're going to be busy for a month of Sundays, and so you kind of give yourself a lower grade on that. What about honoring your father and mother? Hmm. Uh, let's skip that one. All right. Um, uh, the next couple are, are pretty easy. At least they should be. Uh, murder. Um, have I murdered? No, I, I parred that hole. 
I might even got a, a, a birdie on that one. Um, and uh, thou shalt not steal. Okay, I haven't stolen, so that one's easy. Um, uh, how about lying or bearing false witness? Um, hmm. Let's come back to that one too. Um, you know, and so we're scoring ourselves, right? And uh, we're, hey, we're doing pretty good. We're above par. We're, we're below par. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're doing fairly well. How about uh, um, coveting? Hmm. <laughs> now we're getting to some, some of these hard par fives. Um, you know, uh, um, don't uh, covet your, your neighbor's spouse or house or possessions, those things. And we, you know, we start marking some things. How do you see the Ten Commandments? Is it, it, it rules, regulations, yes, no's, green light, red light? Is it, is it scoring? How, how, do you, how do you rate yourself? Check this, check that. And, you know, I, I'm sure if we were honest, we'd, we'd kind of go, okay, some of them good, some of them bad, some of them, you know. In Matthew 5, we kind of amp it up a little bit and ramp it up a little bit, and Jesus kind of starts getting into our business, and, and He kind of puts some explanation on these laws. In fact, he, he says to those who are gathered, He says, you know, you've heard it said you shouldn't murder. It's on the scorecard, right? How'd you do? And everyone's going, well, I haven't, I haven't murdered anyone. So I, He says, but I say, even if you're angry, you've committed murder, and everyone's going, oh, get out the eraser. You know, change that score. He says, you've heard it say, don't commit adultery. And everyone's sitting there, oh, I haven't committed adultery. And then he goes on to say, even if you looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Ooh, things are starting to get silent. Jesus starts to amp it up, ramp it up a little bit. There's this ongoing assessment of behavior that we have. We, we go, Wow. How am I doing? We give ourselves a grade and we conclude out of all of these, we, we conclude that, hey, all of these are, are just an ongoing delineation of where I stand behavior-wise. But we come to this conclusion that there are a couple of those laws that, that are, are pretty easy. And they're the first two. The, the first one is, thou shalt have no other gods before thee. And the second one, don't make any graven images. Right? And we go, man, those are easy. Man, that's like putt-putt golf. You know, hey, when was the last time we ever did that? And some of those other ones we got to talk about, we got to work through, we got to, but, oh, you know, I would never. It was like me when I was a kid. I grew up in uh, uh, Western Canada, very Asian influence. Uh, when I was a kid, 50% of our city was non-white. Most of them were from Pacific Rim countries. A lot of, uh, um, of Eastern religions represented. Even some of my friends, um, whether Buddhist or, or Sikh or, or Shinto, uh, Shinto um, um, it, it was just a, a melting pot. I remember one time I was over at a friend's house and we were walking down to play video games down at the end of the hall. And I'm walking down the hall and it's kind of like something catch, catches my eye and I backed up and I looked into the room and it's like an altar. And I'm like, what? You know, there's a statue, there's dim lights, there's incense burning and I'm like, where am I? And I'm like, nobody does that. And I guess, well, I guess they do. And I just went on and played video games. But I remember that, that we get thinking, idols, who worships idols? Oh, it's those other religions and those other. But may I suggest 
that yes, even we as Christians worship idols, we just don't think we worship idols. Over in Exodus chapter 20, it says, Then God gave the people all these instructions. I'm the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not take yourself an idol of any kind, any image, uh, or anything under heaven or, or under earth. And we get going, okay, I'm good. Or are we? Or are we? I want you to hear me. Idolatry is the number one issue in the Bible. Number one issue. And idolatry isn't just one of many sins. It's not just, oh, this sin over here and then here's all these others. It is the one great sin that all of the others come from. It's not an issue. It's the issue. And if you start scratching at whatever struggle you're dealing with, eventually you'll find that underneath it is a false god. Something you're worshiping other than the one true God. You see, there are a hundred million different symptoms, but the issue is always idolatry. What you are worshiping. Imagine going into a doctor and you had this, just this awful cough. I had uh, this, just this long ongoing thing of bronchitis last fall and it just seemed to never go away and praise the Lord, it finally did. But imagine you had this, just this awful bronchitis in your, your you're coughing and, and just feeling awful. You go into the doctor and uh, the doctor does a full scale of examination and all this, does all of the scans and, and comes to the very end and says, well, congratulations, you have stage four cancer. You're going to die. Well, thank you. And then the doctor proceeds to prescribe to you Robitussin and cough drops and says, you know what, this should get you feeling better. You're like, all right. Sounds good to me. And you walk out and you're chugging the Robitussin and, and popping the cough drops. And sure enough, Monday, you're feeling better. You know, the next day, Tuesday, you're feeling better. Wednesday, you're feeling better. And hey, I'm cured. Look at me. I'm, I, look what's going on. Wow. Are you cured? Are you healed? No, the symptoms are gone, but the sickness is still there. And so often in church, so often in our relationship with God, we get treating the symptom rather than the sickness. And what is the sickness? And you read all throughout Scripture and over and over and over, and it always will come down to idolatry and what we are worshiping other than the one true God. Ramifications of sin or the core issue that causes sin. Is it just simply the symptoms or is it the sickness? You know, Solomon in Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. You know, in, in our day and age, we think of a heart as a, an organ that pumps uh, blood and circulates blood to the rest of our, of our organs and to the rest of our body. But in, in uh, New Testament times and in Hebrew times in particular, they saw the heart as the, as the image of that which everything else flows out of. It's the center of a person's personality. It's who you are. and All things come down to what's happening in your heart. Jesus goes on to talk about uh, uh, the, the heart is so important. He says, people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, it's easy for us to acknowledge and make those, those verbal confessions and yet still keep our heart reserved for ourselves and not give the, our heart over to the Lord. So the big question is, what are you worshiping? 
What is it? What are you worshiping? You see, we need a heart transformation, and, and it begins with an accurate assessment. We need to be able to look inwardly and assess what is truly going on. Paul in Romans 12 says, don't fool yourself. Don't think of yourself as more highly than you ought. He, he says, you need to have sober judgment of what's truly going on inside. You need an honest evaluation of what you're worshiping. You need to take inventory and discover what's at the core and what's going on at your heart. So I want you to take your bulletin, and, and in the center section there, every week there are some notes. And at the bottom, the bottom section there is a, an assessment. And I'm going to give you some questions. And here's the thing, we're, I'm going to get you to fill in the blanks. But I also want you to ask the question. Sincerely ask the question to yourself. What is going on? If Paul encourages us to have a, a, an accurate assessment of ourselves and, and, and to look inwardly with sober judgment, that's something that we ought to do. Now, I understand for, for many of us, and I would encourage you to take it a step further and not just, you know, fill in the blanks. Woohoo, I finished my, do, my task for the, for the day. My, I finished my job. I'm going to close it, put it in my Bible, and never see it again until like three years from now when my Bible falls on the floorboard of the car and I pick it up and I go, hey, what's this? Okay. Maybe tomorrow, maybe this afternoon, maybe during your quiet time, sometime this week, I want you to pull this out and I want you to prayerfully go through these as an assessment tool, simply a tool that the Lord would use to identify some of those things that are capturing our attention and sitting on the throne of our lives instead of Him. So here's the first one. What disappoints you? What disappoints you? What causes you great amounts of sadness or causes you to lose hope? Think about it. It's a good sign that something has become far more important than it should when you examine what disappoints you. This is something that's, that's right in my wheelhouse. I'm a dreamer. I'm a hoper. I'm a, we'll get to that in just a second. But, but when, when those things don't pan out, oftentimes I end up getting extremely disappointed. But it's worth looking at what are those things that, that cause the greatest amount of disappointment in my life? What are they for you? Is it your career? Is it your children? Is it friends? Maybe popularity? Maybe success? Erwin Lutzer, he's a, an author and a, a pastor. He was pastor at Moody Church in Chicago. He said this, that the disappointment might be God's way of identifying an idol in your life. What causes you great amounts of disappointment? Number two, what do you complain about the most? And before you elbow your spouse sitting next to you, just chill for a bit. Okay, ask yourself. What do you complain about the most? Now, let me encourage you that this will probably require you asking someone else and to give you an honest answer about you. And it might be a spouse, it might be a close friend, but I want you sometime today, tomorrow, this week, sit across the table from somebody you know and you trust and ask them this sincere question. What do I complain most about? You might need some outside assistance. Do you complain about leaders? Do you complain about your boss? Do you complain about news? Maybe it's politics. Maybe it's church. 
One pastor in the Midwest put it this way. He says, what we complain about reveals what really matters to us. Whining shows what has power over us. What do you complain about the most? Just might reveal what, what idol is in your life. Number three, where do you make financial sacrifices? The Bible says that where our treasure is, there our heart is also. And it's not just that, heart, that blood pumping organ. It's the core of our personality and who we are. And I want you sometime this week, take a moment. Look at your bank statement. Look at your credit card statement. Examine them. And it says, now beyond house, beyond those major expenses of housing or, or food, look at what occupies and, and takes the majority of your money. Where are your greatest investments? And I believe that those things will reveal what is most important to you. What is most important could reveal there's an idol in your life. Number four, what worries you? What keeps you up at night? Let me ask you this question. What wakes you up at night? What do you spend time worrying about? Is it losing someone significant? Is it losing your job? Maybe you worry about your house. Maybe you worry about your safety, your possessions, your talents. Again, there's, we go on and on. You worry about the news and politics, leaders, church. Friendships, what is it that worries you? What are the things that you care so deeply about could identify an idol in your life? Number, number five, where is your sanctuary? Where is your sanctuary? I don't mean your place of worship being this sanctuary, but where is that place you go to to find peace and rest? Where do you go when you're hurting? You come home at the end of the day, you've had a rough day, you've had just an awful day, what do you do and where do you go? Do you get on the phone, call a friend and just vent? Do you get on social media and, Bye! I'm just going to, I feel so good. Where do you escape? Do you escape to a novel or binge watching movies or TV shows or video games, pornography, social media, shopping? Or do you grab a pint of ice cream and sit on the couch and just wallow in your sorrows? And it sounds funny, but there, there's truth there. Where do you go for sanctuary? Do you run to those things or do you run to the Lord? Do you turn to Him? Where do you run? Number six, what infuriates you? But pastor, it's holy anger. It's righteous anger. Yeah, <laughs> Right. What do you get angry about? Everyone has a trigger, you see. Everyone has a hot button. Something that drives you crazy. It would be helpful for you to analyze what yours is. What makes you mad? Is it competition? Maybe you can't stand to lose anything. You're competitive. And it causes you great amount of anger. Maybe being the best at something is your idol. How about traffic? That rage that just gets going. Isn't it amazing that someone you don't know in a car you've never seen before can have so much power over you? 
the rage that, that gets going inside, maybe your temper is revealing an idol in your life. And finally, number seven, what are your dreams? You know, if nightmares and worries and fears are revealing, I believe that dreams are too. You know, when left alone, where, do your, where does your imagination go? You're sitting on the front porch. What do you dream about? Maybe you're actually dreaming of a front porch. You know, I remember when shortly after we moved to Illinois, uh, we were living in a, in a small uh, bungalow, and I would always dream of a front porch. <laughs> and then I got the front, front porch, and I started sitting on the front porch and dreaming of other things. What do you dream about? What are those desires? Is it fame? Is it fortune? Is it success? Is it something, a car, a house? Is it a peaceful retirement? Is it a utopic world with no worries, no cares? You see, aspirations aren't bad. Dreams aren't bad. The question is, why do you dream about these things? Why do these things obsess and, and possess your mind and, and your thoughts? What is your motivation? And I believe an honest answer to that question will reveal if your dreams are an idol or not. So there's seven things, seven questions. Probably not an exhaustive list, probably not the best list, but it is a tool that I believe you can use even this week to prayerfully, and hear me, prayerfully take those things to the Lord and ask Him to reveal within your heart what's going on and what you're worshiping. Quickly, Romans chapter 8. I'm going to finish with this. We're going to jump through this very quick. This is chewy, chewy, meaty stuff that Paul says. And I want us to start at verse 1, first and foremost. He says, so now there is no condemnation. And I want you just to underline that and circle that. There is no condemnation. Hear me. This is something that I believe God tenderly and gently wants to come into your life and say, come on, we can do better here. Because I want that first and foremost place in your life. And for some reason, these other things are crowding me out. Your life is going to be so much more fulfilling, so much more God-honoring if He is the sole person at the top of the totem pole sitting on the throne of your life. So He says that there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-saving Spirit has done what? It has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You can't do this on, the, on your own. It's the Holy Spirit working in you and through you that gives you the victory over these things. Jump down to verse 5. He goes on to say, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the, uh, the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws. And it never will. And that's why those who are still under the control of the sinful nature can never please God. And all throughout that, you have these words, controlled, obsessed, um, um, of, uh, these words. And, and I went looking, and I'm like, what, what are these all about? You know, letting the, uh, the Spirit, letting the sinful nature, thinking, uh, those who are dominated, those who are permitting. And, and you know, it, throughout, when you get into the Greek, those words aren't there. 
Those words have been added to, to the sentence structure in our English language to provide some, some, some flow and some explanation to what Paul was really getting at. But what, in, in essence, he was saying, those who are of the Spirit do this. Those who are of the flesh, this is the result. He's not saying dominated or controlled. It's just assumed that if you are of the Spirit, you're filled with the Spirit. And if you're not filled with the Spirit, you're not. It's not a matter of control or manipulated. or you know, it's, That word doesn't matter. It's whether you are or whether you're not. And as Christ followers, we are filled with His Spirit. Jump over to uh, verse 9. He says exactly this, but you are not controlled by the sinful nature. So once again, that word controlled isn't in the Greek. What he's saying is, but you are sinful nature. You, sorry, you are not sinful nature. You are spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. This is what he's saying. You are, you are not. You're not of the flesh. You are of the Spirit. Verse 15. So you have not received a Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up uh, because I'm going to go a few minutes late here, but uh, we'll get going. What he says here when he says, you have not received the Spirit um, that makes you fearful. Instead, you received God's Spirit. The, the image that Paul is conveying here is, uh, and sorry for those of you who aren't sports people, it's football. But it is, here's, here's the, you know, the pigskin. It is catching it, it's tucking it, holding it, and running with it. That's the image that he's giving. Is receiving, grabbing hold of it, and running with it. And what he's saying here, you have received, you've grabbed it, you're holding it, you're running with it. The Spirit, when He adopted you as children, now we call Him Abba Father, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. You are filled with the Spirit of God if you've surrendered your life to Him. And He will empower you to live that out. The question is, what are you worshiping? What are you seeking? And instead, what he says is, seek first his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you. So over these next few weeks, we're going to explore this more and more. What is the God that is on the throne of your life? We're going to talk about that more. It's not something to be afraid of. It's not something that brings condemnation, but it's something instead that brings life. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. and Let's just ask the Lord to examine our hearts as we surrender to Him. And it's really boiling it down. So Lord, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we ask Your Holy Spirit to come and just examine our hearts. And... and Lord, I'd ask that you'd speak loudly into our hearts. Just like the psalmist said, search me, O Lord. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way. See if there be any anxious way in me. And lead me, Lord, in your ways everlasting. So Lord, that's the 
prayer, that's the cry of our heart. That first, Lord, you'd help us identify what we're worshiping. And then you would enable that process in which we would dethrone that idol. We would set that idol apart. We would smash that idol. And Lord, we would worship you, the one true God, the giver of life. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. We desire to worship you. We desire to serve you. But Lord, as Paul says, the flesh is constantly at war with the spirit. The spirit is at war with the flesh. Lord, help us through the power of your Holy Spirit that we are filled with to win the battle, to worship you and worship you alone. We love you, Lord. Put a blessing on each person here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.